Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I know exactly where I was 20 years ago today. <laughs> I'll talk about that coming up today on our uh, This Day in Oilers History segment at 1.50. Uh, it was a Saturday, by the way. You can look it up. Uh, we will tell you Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for 50-plus years. You can get their new boneless wings, 8 for $13.95 or 16 for $25.95. Visit royalpizza.ca. I had the Texan last night. Brendan's choice got me hooked on the Texan. I sort of alternate now between the Mediterranean chicken and the Texan. Um, all right, here we go. We're going to head off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline, and we welcome back to the show David Staples from the Calta Hockey. And we are getting uh, some, uh, what do they call it, a tracer fire from guys texting in on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. David, people are second-guessing the fact that uh, Mike Vernon uh, ends up in the Hall of Fame. I've got uh, uh, one of the great broadcasters out there who shall remain nameless saying, Bob, what about Bill Ranford if Mike Vernon gets in? People forget Mike Vernon also went in Detroit as well as Calgary. Um, <laughs> there we go. It's crazy. Even the Chisler's texting me about this stuff. Wow. What are your thoughts? Uh, Ken Hitchcock gets in uh, by... Uh, Ken Hitchcock uh, gets in as a builder. Uh, your thoughts on that, David Staples, call to hockey. And I know it's, look, you count scoring chances, but what do you think about, about Hitch getting in? Well, he was the coach of a Stanley Cup team and a coach of dominant teams. He deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mike Vernon? <laughs> wow. Um that's really that's fascinating, Bob. That's really interesting. Um, not since Dick Duff got in the hall. Oh, oh don't get me. Do you remember how <laughs> mad I was? Interesting selection. <laughs> I I see it more with Vernon than I do with Dick Duff. I just remember <laughs> the late Jim Gregory talking. Dick Duff was of the highest moral character, and I'm like, how would anybody know? Like, this was 30 years ago. He was a second liner on the Leafs, you know? Like, there were six teams back then, you know? And, you're, and of course, that was the year they did not have Glenn Anderson in the Hall of Fame. Anderson won six Stanley Cups and won 400 and scored 498 goals. It was a 50-goal score in the NHL. Like, come on. Like, sir. They ended up getting him in. All right. Uh, you, you guys have, uh, Bruce McCurdy and you, have been looking at uh, the Oilers season review on the Call to Hockey site. Uh, you You've been picking up on some pieces on Yamamoto. We had Frank Saravalli on the show. What's your take? Do you think they'll be able to... Uh, Dick Duff, you got me all wound up over Dick Duff. <laughs> What's, it's, it's like me bringing up Gil McGowan with you, David. So, anyhow... Uh, Jim Gregory, Bob, like, he's got a trophy named after him. Like, how did that happen? What did Jim Gregory do? Like, uh, well, anyway. he, he was in with the league. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what happened. Um... Okay. You you wrote a piece uh, referencing both uh, Chris Johnson as well as Frank Saravalli, of course, from Daily Faceoff, about the valuation on Yamamoto. What do you think is going to happen here? Well, it sounds like there's a number of teams kind of at the bottom end of the league who want to improve. Um, doesn't seem to be always the case, but Arizona's looking to improve. And, you know, there's Chicago now with... Um, they got Connor Bedard. They're going to need some players. <clears throat> so there's some teams at the bottom 
who actually want to go up. And because of that, it looks like there's going to be, the owners are going to get out of the yam jam. They're not going to have to buy them out as look like the most likely scenario and uh, eat about $900,000 of uh, salary cap over two years. They're going to be able to trade them, at least unload his contract, maybe even get draft pick. And um, We'll see, David. I'll, I will see. Uh, right. uh, that's that's what the experts are saying, Bob. So I'm going by them. And you, like, listen, you're as you're as hooked up and in the know as they are. So if you're contradicting that, I I put a lot. Of here's here's a, here. I'm not necessarily contradicting that. I'm I I'm hoping there's an extra million more in the cap. Okay, so it goes up not from eighty three five. I'm hoping when it's all said and done, it goes to eighty four five. Um, I'm just I'm putting myself in the shoes of other organizations like. You know, if we're talking, you know, we're talking for a C-grade prospect or for a pick, and, and part of the issue is Edmonton can't afford underperforming contracts. So if you have middle-tier contracts, you got to do more than score 10 or 12 goals, which unfortunately has been, you know, Yamamoto. Did you actually compare him? To Yvonne Cornway and a piece. Somebody has texted me this and say David Staples called to okay, hockey yes, compared okay, Connor guilty as charged, man. But but here's the context: when Connor Yamamoto came up and played on the dynamite line with Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins in 2019-20, that line was so good. They, Leon Dreisaitl won the MVP that year. That Kyler Yamo was almost a point a game hockey player. He was out there. He was fast. He was making plays. He looked fantastic. Bob, he looked all the world like a first or second line winger for a decade. He did. In that period of time. He and did. that's the con- I- That's when I said, in that moment... In that moment, I was just trying to think of a small player who was really fast and could make plays, and uh, Cornwall popped into my head. So, you know, it's obviously he didn't turn out that way, but in that moment, we were over the moon about Kyle well, Yamamoto. A couple things happened with Yamamoto, okay? Uh, first of all, just for the younger listeners, Yvonne Cornoyer's nickname was the Roadrunner. He could yep. fly. He had a much stockier build than Kyler Yamamoto. Like, Yvonne Cornoyer was not a pushover. There was a memorable ball, brawl with Boston. I think it was in 1969-70. And Cornoyer was not taking any crap. He was giving it back to them. Like, he was not a timid guy that was... But one of the things that happened to Yamamoto is he got that whiplash hit a year ago in the playoffs, courtesy of Gabriel Landeskog. To me, he's not really been... Because he had a 20-goal season last year, albeit a lot of the numbers were in the second half of the year. Um, So I'm going to be intrigued to see how this... Because something, I think we both agree, something has to give with one of Yamamoto or Fogel in order for the Oilers to find a way to be cap compliant if they, you know, do a a bridge on Bouchard and maybe a three-year deal on uh, Ryan McLeod, David? I actually think, Bob, the owners are going to have to move out two of their $3 million players. So so two of Yamamoto, Fogel, Kulak, CC. Um, these guys, I think, to get all the money they're going to need and, you know, they want to make a signing or two, I think they're going to probably have to move two of them. And so Yamamoto's at the top of that list. And to sell Yamamoto, he did have that 20-goal season just a season ago. And um, he looked good. He he wasn't uh, uh, he wasn't you know Evan Cornway like in that season, but he was good. Then he got home in the playoffs, as you say. Even this year, though, 
he had moments when he was when when he was good. When he was banged up, he wasn't good. But um, he he still plays for a player as small as he is. He still plays a rugged game. He makes hard plays around the net. He tips the puck. He jams the puck at net. He goes hard to the net. He defends um, with a lot of passion. He's intense on defense. Um, so if you're selling this player, he there's something to sell. He's a year away from a 20-goal season. If he just can get healthy, you've got a 20-goal scorer, probably with Kari Yamamoto. On a weaker team, if he's playing in the top six, that's what you're going to get. He just has to stay healthy. So he's got to figure out a way to build up his body, get stronger and um, hang in the NHL. And players have done that. Players who have had concussion problems, other injuries, they have come back and had lengthy careers in the NHL. So he's got to figure that out. And and, and he, he may well do that. And it, we could see Yamamoto having a, a decent season next year, you know, 20 goals, 30 assists, 50 points, and thinking, oh, that's that's the player we thought, and he's he's actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. All right, David, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Earlier in the show today, we talked about Connor Brown. I think you know I've been talking about Connor Brown for like five years. I like Connor Brown, so let's just establish that. He is represented by Jeff Jackson uh, from Wasserman. I mean, Wasserman, <laughs> this is how powerful of an agency Wasserman is. As you know, Ronald Reagan. He became first governor and then president in large part because of Wasserman. They structured sort of the path for him. Uh, so Jeff Jackson's with Wasserman. He has Connor McDavid. He has Evan Bouchard. And oh, by the way, he's got Connor Brown. Uh, Connor Brown played four games last year, David. He tore his ACL. That means he can qualify for a base plus bonus deal. So assuming yeah. the base is a million dollars, how high of a bonus structure would you go on Brown, knowing that that bonus would apply to next year's cap when we're expecting minimum a $3 million increase? Well, I saw the, the Daily Faceoff hired. I got a guy who's got a bit of a capologist to do projections. And if I'm not mistaken, they had Counter Brown at about $3 million. That's 3.3 million. 3. Yeah, 3. so um, they they nailed it with uh, Damon Severson. Yes, they, they, they did. About six million, and they got that right. That cost so, me dinner. I got to buy Frank Cervo <laughs> dinner. So it, it's not that they're going to get them all right. They're going to get some right, and they're going to get some wrong. And this is interesting because it, it was a player who's injured. Has has he come back from injury? We don't know. But listen, it, it looks like about two million dollars. Like if if he signs for a million dollars, it looks like it's about two to two and a half million dollars in bonus structure built into his contract so it looks like about a three to 3.5 million dollar deal that that um that the market would say now will he take less than market um and and the 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 number that daily faceoff gave was was a long-term contract it was over a number of years so the bonus structure might even be a little higher than that so you could see the you know going up like you might take one million dollars up front and then a bonus structure paying him three million dollars if it's just a one-year deal so that wouldn't surprise me and i don't think people's hair should be on fire if that's the case yeah um the, the cap is going to shoot up we know this and this is a way for the orders to circumvent that eventuality to to um even though if the cap doesn't go up much this year just a million um they'll they'll be able to get a better team this year by using cap space from next year for this season all right uh so a couple players that have been mentioned uh by daily faceoff that have got ranked in their top 12 uh, potential trade targets i'm going to ask one's a forward um Right shot, right wing, 30-goal season last year, two years left at $5.5 million, and one's a defenseman, one year left, a right shot, $4.1 million. 
Who would be the more impactful pickup for the Edmonton Oilers, David? Travis Konechny, the right wing, or Brett Pesci, the right shot D? Well, I personally think Konechny because I have a higher opinion of Cody Ceci than most people do. Um, Cody Ceci, according to... Uh, Darcy McLeod, what guy runs a uh, and, and another fellow run a uh, puck IQ page, and they look at quality of competition. Cody CC played the toughest co- uh, quality of competition of any Oilers defenseman this year. He just was out there for all the heavy lifting, and he was injured. Um, and he did he did not great. He did okay ish, but when he's healthy, um, I think Cody CC can uh, play some strong hockey. So I think you have him. Um, he's going to get healthy over the summer. Um, he, he was really good the year before. So Pesci's an improvement over Cody CC. But Konechny seems to be a little bit of a, he seems to be more of a difference maker. Um, I think if the owners change their defensive system, have a bit more structure in front of the net, a bit more of a zone, that's really going to suit Cody CC. He won't have to be moving around as much in his own zone. So I think um, he can flourish next year with the Oilers. And Pesci wouldn't piece Pesci is it wouldn't uh, offer that much more than CC would, but Konechny, he could score forty goals. You know he scored thirty last year in sixty games, I think, roughly for the Flyers with on a top line with uh, McDavid or Drysaddle. He's fast, he's aggressive, um, he he scores. He's done this over a number of years. He could add something quite a quite a strong element of even strength, I think, to the uh, scoring of the Oilers. So I think he would be more impactful. Now to do that, you're going to have to then move out Fogel move out Yamamoto, and move out Kulak and to get the money to do that, I think. And that would mean, I mean, you, by moving out Kulak, you would then have room for Philip Boberg to right. have a spot in the lineup. So it's not great. It's not necessarily um, impossible. It would be very difficult to make such a move. Um, but you do have a player in Broberg ready to step up. You have Holloway and uh, Lavoie also ready to go. So um, maybe it'll happen. David, uh, on top of having the Cult of Hockey, which is a very popular site, and by the way, Kurt Levin's with an extensive piece maybe explaining some of the ramifications that would have affected Bell's decision on 1260. On top of the Cult of Hockey, you are also the Provincial Affairs columnist, and you tweeted something out this week, uh, Provincial Affairs columns for the Image Journal, about BlackRock. And I got to tell you, I went down that rabbit hole. Wow. <laughs> well, there's a big money man from the States who want to dominate. You know, they, they dominate the economy in the United States to, to a large extent, and they're out for themselves. They pretend they're out for the good of the world. They are not. And, um, you know, we should be leery of anything, these rich, uh, rich uh, uh, guys from BlackRock have to say. Yeah. Wow, you're sounding a bit like Noah Chomsky there, my man. (laughs) (laughs) Money's a powerful force in the world, and you have to just, you know, they they pretend that they're all for the good of the world. They are not. They're all for themselves, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. Oh, wow. You had me at FIFA Uncovered. All right, David, great stuff. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 149 in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout. (laughs) Come back with this day in Oilers history. I remember it well. This is Oilers now. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. 152 at Edmonton. This text comes in on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, as an Oilers fan, if any flame is going to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, it should be Theo Fleury. You know what? He has a compelling case. Won a Stanley Cup, 
won an Olympic gold medal, was the star in the flames for a number of years. Um, you know, a 1,000 games in the NHL, better than a point per game as a player, 455 goals. Some people might not like his politics these days. I don't know if that should matter when you're talking to getting into a Hockey Hall of Fame. I think there's a lot more baggage than just the politics these days, though, if you look at what happened in New York and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think given... uh, I I will tell you, for a lot of the players that have grown up in the game over the last 15 years, his book, sort of explaining some of the details of what he went through when he played for Graham James, there's a lot of people that have empathy for for Theron Fleury. Uh, A lot of people that have empathy. Speaking of Fleury, this is going to take us down the path of... This day in Oilers history for New West Travel, serving travelers since 1979. Book your vacation today at newwesttravel.com. What happened on this day back in 2003? (sighs) The Oilers traded their first round draft pick to New Jersey in exchange for their first and their second round picks in that same year. The Devils drafted their future captain, Zach Parisi, 17th overall out of the University of North Dakota. Edmonton selected Ramouski's Marc-Antoine Pouliot, 22nd overall, and Jean-Francois Jacques, uh, uh, 68th overall. That was the last pick of the second round. Those two combined for 74 points total in their respective NHL careers. Yeah, there were some extenuating circumstances. By the way, do you know who the number one pick in the 03 draft was? Speaking of Flurry, Mark Andre. There you go. Nicely done. That was the first draft show I ever did at uh, from Total Hockey until the draft show that year. It was on a Saturday because Steetson went 10th to the Canadians, I remember, because I got that one right. Um, so what people forget, can't have revisionist history, the Oilers had Mike Comrie, and he had had a tough 3 playoffs. Tough enough, they ended up holding out uh, during the 3 4 season. Never played for the Edmonton Oilers again, and they didn't want more small players, and that was part of the justification in, in passing on Parisi. Kevin Prendergast was the head amateur scout at that time, and I've at times been critical of some of his selections, but I, you know, there's always been influence as to who, you know, who. I, I will say this: after round one, the orders didn't do poorly during a lot of KP's years. Okay, they hit on some picks after round one, and I'm not sure who picked. Often the general manager, Kevin Lowe, uh, Craig McTavish would have had a lot of input as a coach at that time on that as well. So. And I know some of the rationale in passing on Parisi at 17th had to do with, you know, can't win with small forwards and that sort of thing. KP later ran the farm team down in, uh, sort of had to take it over when it was in some real rough times. I thought he did a decent job doing that. He ended up uh, later working for the Buffalo Sabres. So history further down the road, you know, maybe favors it upon further review with some especially when factoring in some of the later on picks. In fact the Oilers was that not the year they got Brodziak in the seventh round? I think it was. I was it turned out to be a hell of a pick. No question about it. All right. Uh inside sports with Reed Wilkins tonight. What's he got? You will hear from uh Edmonton sports personality Jason Greger. I think he's doing a couple of segments there with Reed. And then Edmonton pro golfer Will Bateman. He's on the Corn Ferry Tour right now, but he was uh, participating in the Canadian Open when Nick Taylor had that 72-foot putt to uh, to take it home. So should be some interesting golf chat tonight. Uh, all right, tomorrow, Ken Hitchcock, Hockey Hall of Famer. Congratulations to Ken. Cam Moon, Hart Levine from Puckpedia, NHL Insider, John Shannon for Legacy Heating and Cooling. 
Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Randy Killebird, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3, and then Chelsea on Chad with Chelsea Bird. So long, everybody. Back at you tomorrow on Oilers Now.